This is Your Health in Your Hands, a podcast from The Open University. I'm Catherine Carr. Personal health budgets, or PHBs, are the next major step towards personalising healthcare. The movement towards personalisation started in the 1970s. Since 2009, a variety of trials have taken place across England, mainly for people living with long-term conditions. The NHS hopes to ultimately offer a PHB to anyone who could benefit. In this discussion, practitioners tell us how PHBs will be rolled out. Well, I'm joined to discuss PHBs by Anne-Marie Mason, who's the director of a company called Health Your Way, which provides consulting services to clinical commissioning groups and advice to individuals who have or would like to have a PHB. Rachel King is the personalisation coordinator for Lambeth Clinical Commissioning Group, and Sarah Little is a commissioning manager in Islington Clinical Commissioning Group. So we'll start very basically, perhaps with you, Sarah. What is a PHB? A personal health budget is really a person-centered care plan. And there are kind of four key aspects to a personal health budget. The first one is that the person who is receiving the budget gets to choose their health and well-being outcomes. The second is they get to choose how they want to meet those outcomes. The third is they get to know how much money they have to spend. And the fourth is they get to choose how they want to manage that money. And how is that a shift away from what happens at the moment? Right now what happens oftentimes is your clinician kind of tells you what your outcomes really should be and how those should be met. And this is really turning the table so that the patient is at the centre and is really driving um, what their care looks like. Amory, how would you describe a PHB or personal health budget? Uh, I think a personal health budget is uh, the, the basics is an amount of money to meet the person's health and well-being needs and at the centre of it is a, is a support plan or care plan as it's called to um, define uh, someone's health outcomes uh, and the health needs that they have um, and really look at the support that they need to put in place to, to deliver those outcomes. Now, I mentioned a trial period which started in 2009. Amory, who is eligible currently for a PHB? Uh, at the moment, people who have uh, continuing health care needs, uh, which is uh, for adults 18 upwards. Um, and there has also been other trials within mental health services and also the long-term conditions as, uh, such as um, stroke or con- um, COPD. Rachel, mental health uh, conditions, is that something which you've been involved with trialling? Yeah, definitely. So Lambeth was involved in the pilot project for the NHS England Department of Health and we trialled it specifically in adult mental health, so 18 to 65. Um, and obviously from our, from our experience we found that it's worked quite well. It's enabled us to give a whole lot more flexibility about how we deliver services in, and support to people that they need and definitely the people we've worked with have given us uh, positive outcomes and the responses we've had have been excellent. What kind of positive outcomes, what kind of evaluations have you done? Uh, mental health is tricky because obviously every single person presents so differently and by having the flexibility of a personal health budget people can really choose about what they want to do. So instead of having that limited menu of options that somebody might have commissioned for them, they can go broader and outside of that and they can really think about what sort of things really unique to them and the things that they're experiencing that they can buy to help them. Well, let's just pause the discussion there and hear from one example of an individual who's benefited from a personal health budget. Andrew Voice has schizophrenia. He spent 20 years in and out of asylums before finding a place to live independently in Bexhill. He got a PHB which allowed him to set up a social enterprise offering things like music sessions and yoga to people living with mental health conditions in his local area. Can you want to stir so Yeah, no problem. When I was in and out of the asylums, 
um, which is for about 20 years, you were given um, uh, a bed in a 10-bed male dormitory, a cupboard with no locks on it. Your only privacy was um, a curtain that was drawn round. You couldn't um, uh, collect any books, records. You had nowhere to put uh, favourite clothes. A bathroom, yes, sir. So uh, in my bathroom, I've got a shower, <coughs> shower and a bath, which is very good to use. Tell me when it was first mooted that you might be able to have one of these budgets and how you went about working out how much money you'd get and how you'd spend it, simply. A chap from um, East Sussex County Council, County Hall in Lewis, came down to Bexhill. He is a commissioner for mental health services. There were about six of us from Bexhill and we were introduced to the concept of self-directed support and personal budgets. I was allocated just over £500 as I think the term was an indicative amount. And what did you say you were going to use that £500 for? There were four things that I mentioned in my support plan. One was to um, have a short holiday with my special friend. One was to take her for meals to make our relationship uh, stronger. Um, One was to buy an electric guitar. uh, And one was to start a social enterprise. And I had all four things approved. Yeah, the fuzz box is working. I mean, in a previous life, I have had an electric guitar of my own, so it was something I knew I could make use of. Talking about founding the social enterprise, it wasn't just the 35 quid that I got to register the company with Companies House. What was important was that the county council felt that I could could make it work, make it a success and that I was capable of doing all the necessary to run a social enterprise. So that was really terrific to have their confidence. That was Andrew Voice. You're listening to an Open University podcast series called Your Health in Your Hands. Now, Rachel King, you're the personalisation coordinator for Lambeth Clinical Commissioning Group with a special interest and responsibility for people with mental health conditions. That man, Andrew Voice, seems to have made £500 go a long way. Uh, definitely. I think um, listening to Andrew, it sounds, the good things about that example is that it sounds like Andrew's really used his strengths in his support plan, You know, thinking historically that he'd been in, in what he referred to as an asylum for quite some time, where obviously he'd been sort of stuck and hadn't really been able to progress very far. And obviously something like a personal health budget's given him an opportunity to really sort of build on those strengths. He's had a level of choice and control. He's been really clear about what's been effective and what's going to be effective in helping him. Now, Andrew did tell me he did his personal support plan as a PowerPoint, animated mm-hmm. PowerPoint, and a friend of his wrote a poem. It must be quite tricky sometimes to work out what people are actually asking for, Anne-Marie, when you sit down to write those very specific personal plans. Yeah, potentially, yeah. I think people have some uh, some ideas and, and maybe they need support to maybe sort of formalise that, really. And also sometimes people are a bit concerned that if they're... If they ask something that maybe isn't seen as a traditional kind of support, is are they going to be rejected straight off, or uh, are they going to be considered that um, you know that they they shouldn't? It's inappropriate to ask for that. So there may be some apprehension about that. And I think by um, speaking to someone like myself uh, before, maybe speaking to a commissioner, that actually can kind of check things out and see if that's going to be, uh, you know, it's kind of a safe zone really to ask that. So let's talk about the beginning of the process towards designing a personal health budget, Sarah. What's the first step and then what's involved? The first step is really for the patient to want a personal health budget. It's not something that the clinician can really make them have. So the initiative has to come from the patient. 
And then I think the second thing is really the care planning process, and that can happen in a variety of different ways, either with um, whoever their kind of lead clinician is, with a team of clinicians that have been supporting them, or with someone totally independent. And then from there, that care plan would get set with a budget, and then the person would be able to use that money to fulfill what they had in their care plan. Is it quite involved and potentially stressful? Hopefully not stressful, but it's definitely involved. I think it's a very um, it's a very different question that all of a sudden people are getting asked when you're used to going to the doctor and kind of relaxing and in a way letting them take control because you see them in a position of power to all of a sudden have someone ask you what you really want. It is, um, it's a question that sometimes takes people a little bit of time to figure out exactly what they want and how they would want to fulfill those needs. And oftentimes people kind of tell their life story, if you will. You kind of go back to what they really enjoy, what they really think they're good at, what they want to kind of give back to the community. And it's from those things that you can then really start to build a care plan and help someone build a life that they may have lost. You're nodding there, Rachel. Is that what you do? You go back to perhaps how they were before the last episode or something they enjoy. Yeah, definitely. I think what we've neglected to do or not done very well in the past if we've, if we've, is we haven't seen the people as whole people. We've seen them as somebody with a diagnosis or with an illness. And the whole point of sort of personalisation and personal health budgets is seeing someone as a whole and something somebody that can contribute and somebody with these strengths and in a way that we can use to try and help them overcome their own needs. And I suppose it's not just about the whole person either. It's about the person, the family and the community. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to in, in sort of consider everybody else who's important to that person around them and who would be worthwhile contributing. I think we'll just pause there and hear about Jonathan Fitzpatrick. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in his 50s. He's now 68 and after a short spell in a care home, he lives back at home in Oxfordshire with his wife, Anna. Her aim is to look after him at home for as long as she can. So they built a brand new extension to allow him to sleep safely downstairs. Do you want to go outside? We go outside in the garden. If you have a living carer, it's £850 a week for the living carer. And then after that, the uh, living carer has to have a break of at least three hours a day. So then you have to pay for that relief. Then also um, you get funding for respite. How that was explained, it was things that you you wouldn't normally do on a regular basis. So that might be your hairdressing appointment. So you might get money to be able to go, um, to be able to ask for a carer to come in so that you can go for a hairdressing appointment. That might be the case. So basically it's a bit like a hospital bed um, so that um, you can lift that needs to be lifted because he chokes. Say you decided that the relief to care, you were going to do it instead of a carer coming in, then the money that you save for that can go for things like, for instance, music therapy or, you know, going to a concert or, or, or activities that Jonathan could participate in. I suppose it's quite nice to have something the way you can manage your money like that, down to the last 15 quid. It's a bit more like real life. Yes, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. You, you have got to keep track of things and get on top of, you know, like sending timesheets off, etc. for if you have a personal assistant, which I do have on a Sunday morning. But no, it's, it's really flexible and it's lovely, a really lovely way of doing it. OK, I'm just going to pull your zip up. That's it. Are you encouraged to think a long way ahead or are you encouraged to take a very much day-by-day view? I think a very much a day-by-day view. 
it's the here and now. So when you write the personal support plan, it's about now, not about the future. But that is then reviewed so that his needs are continually being met. And it all gets muddled up. It struck me when I met that couple that there was an awful lot of administration and some very new skills to appropriate. Is that something that you help people with, Anne-Marie, becoming an employer, filling in the paperwork, deciding whether to use a broker or not? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the key key starting point is to give people information and advice about, you know, what is involved. And I think particularly if somebody's looking to become an employer is that they need to know what the responsibilities are. Um, of taking on a, a member of staff or whether it's a team of staff and I think uh, you know the level of responsibility with that some people will want to take on and some people will not um, and perhaps with Anna uh, you know maybe she had enough going on and actually chose to use an agency where they will deal with that responsibility actually some people um, start off with using an agency and then as they get used to things being sort of settled at home they actually change their minds um, and some prefer to stick with it. Can it be overwhelming at times to sort of not only be dealing with perhaps a health concern or a mental health condition but also to then start dealing with the HMRC? I think definitely it, it can be overwhelming and it's a discussion that you have to have in the support planning process with somebody sort of outlining what, what would be involved. I think definitely in mental health we do use agency quite a lot to try and relieve people of that responsibility but I know in other areas where personal health budgets are offered that might not be the case at all. And Sarah, as a commissioner, is that something which you have to bear in mind that you may have to change your structures actually to allow people to become employers, to allow them to change their tax codes, to take on these new responsibilities? As a commissioner for the NHS, we can really rely on commissioners in the local authority who have already kind of gone gone through all of this um, and who have experience with personal budgets for the last kind of five or six years or even longer. And so in Islington, we've really partnered and relied on our local authority to provide all of that support because they really have that expertise there. So complications aside, it was clear to me at least that Anna and Jonathan had found a way of making it work. Definitely. I mean, their story is a fantastic fantastic example of even though it took a while to get set up and it took them really changing their thinking, they were able to get something that ultimately really worked well for them. Anna did mention that she'd perhaps taken on a little bit too much, managing an extension, retiring, which I know that she did, and moving her husband back home. Those sorts of wider life concerns, are they something you would take into account when you're offering support to individuals? Absolutely, because, you know, the person isn't just about the health needs that they have or their outcomes, you know, that life still goes on as other things are happening. And, um, you know, the amount of support that somebody will need will vary depending on what's going on in their life so perhaps initially at the start where they need support planning help and and advice and where they're looking for for what support they want to put in place we might be quite heavily involved with people but our overall aim is to actually you know provide very little support ongoing and because the person wants to get on with living their life and actually we shouldn't really need to be involved after so long. Rachel you mentioned often with people who have mental health conditions that you opt for an agency Uh, option perhaps for greater levels of support do you find that that extra step and those extra layers of support are essential I think definitely they are definitely they are I think that you know the it is a new thing and this is a new way of thinking as, as people have pointed out and I think in order to enable people to sort of get their heads around that and be really clear on what they can and can't do with this sort of Um, opportunity is really important. We we heard there from Anna and Jonathan and she explained how she had a choice about where the money ended up. And I know that there are three different ways, aren't there, in which the money can end up in your hands or available for you to spend Mm -hmm. as you wish. 
the newest way, I guess, of handling money is, is something called a direct payment. And that means that the money's gone directly from a, an organisation or the CCG and it's gone directly to the person, whether that's in their bank account or through some other means. And I think that's that's really the big change around sort of personalisation and, and what we're trying to do here because it really gives people ultimate control because they have that money with them. Um, there's obviously something called a notional payment as well, which is where funds are moved from one service to another but not necessarily through a person themselves. And the third option is third party and that's where you can uh, get an agency or an organisation, you can buy them to do a lot of the sort of accounting and, and money management work for you. And we did hear earlier from Andrew who bought an electric guitar. What checks and balances are there on what exactly you'd like to include in your support plan or perhaps change your mind about further down the line? Obviously the checks around sort of the management of money. Obviously um, we have a finance team that sort of checks in with people and they might have an agreement with people where they provide receipts or whether they sort of um, provide bank statements. And that's really just to make sure that the money's spent in a correct way. In regards to people sort of changing their mind about how they want to spend money or if they're finding something's not really working for them, that can usually be done in regards to the ongoing payments um, or if they haven't spent a one-off payment, definitely. And that's we would call that a review in Lambeth. So we'd sort of meet with the people who are involved in creating the support plan or who's responsible for managing it and sort of think about what's why it's not working or why we want to spend money differently and we can make amendments as necessary and then subject to agreement that can be done. Let's take another pause and hear from Matthew O'Sullivan. He's 25 years old and has a form of muscular dystrophy called Duchenne's. He lives near Reading with his girlfriend Lizzie, who has cerebral palsy. They manage their personal health budgets in tandem. Matthew breathes using a respirator and needs 24-hour care. Hello, who is it? Hello, Paul. Paul? Yes. Oh, hi, Paul. I'll let you in. Hold on. Thank you. I was diagnosed when I was five years old, and basically it's a condition that's really weakened all of your muscles, um, so as you get older, you slowly get weaker and weaker and weaker. What care do you have and, and how do you organise it? Uh, well, I have a um, mixture of both PAs and agency staff. I use PAs mainly during the day and, and the weekday nights. We get on with the team and they're, they're really, really good and, you know, wouldn't swap them for the world. You were sort of ahead of the curve a little bit, asking about, this is my money, is there a way that I can tweak the way that I spend it? And lo, you've got your personal health budget. Has it actually lived up to what you wanted? It has. used to do a lot of Excel programming, so I've kind of got the budget on the screen so I can change one bit and it'll work it all out. The good thing is that um, you can save money, so say if you save couple hundred quid a week you can let it build up to go on holiday or something like that. We've set up our own shared care rate which basically means that my carers can help my partner as well because she's got cerebral palsy. Um, Basically means they get paid more but I pay less and then Lizzie pays less. We also have a few gaps in care where um, uh, Lizzie's my carer for for a couple of hours just so we can just be alone together together and go and you know, do stuff. The money that you save, you said you could spend on going on holiday or whatever. Are you really free to spend on whatever you like? Could you say, you know, Lizzie, good news, we've saved 150 quid this month, we can lash out, get taxis, go out for a nice meal, have a date, whatever, or, is it, or are there kind of jurisdictions on it? I am slightly cheeky about what I claim back for, but, you know, as long as, as, long as you bring up your um, support broker and ask, and just say, can I claim back 
for this, then they usually, they're usually OK with doing it. That was Matthew O'Sullivan. You're listening to an open university podcast series called Your Health in Your Hands. Uh, we heard at the end that it was quite funny. He said he's a bit cheeky with his budget, but he always runs it past someone. And I guess that's where we get back to the question of not what the money buys, perhaps, but what it achieves. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what uh, Matthew said there about checking in with the broker or, you know, the clinician is just really checking that it is OK. Um, you know, what's agreed in the support plan is what the money should be spent for. But there needs to be an element of flexibility in there. There was the interesting point as well that they sometimes double up on care for his girlfriend, Lizzie, who has cerebral palsy. She can sometimes act as his carer for an hour or so to relieve the other carer and thus save respite money. So there are various ways of managing your budget. I mean, there are infinite ways. Definitely. And I think the important thing to remember about personal health budgets is flexibility is key. And, you know, a person's life doesn't say stay stagnant or the same all the time. There's variations. And um, particularly we see in mental health people's mental health fluctuates. And if somebody's having a period where they're quite well, they might be able to sort of sort of almost bank or accumulate some of that money or some of that time that they've got with their carers. And then when they are having a bit of a shaky day or a shaky week where things aren't so good, they can call on those and get the extra support they need at that time. Sarah, after a care plan has been designed or been suggested by an individual, at what point does the commissioner get involved to say, this looks good, let's go with this? Ideally, the commissioner wouldn't have to be involved that much in a care plan. I mean, at some point, really, it is a conversation between the person who's receiving care and the person who's delivering the care. From a commissioner's perspective, I'm only really interested if the indicative budget that we've given at the beginning of the process isn't going to be enough to meet the person's needs. And at that point, their clinician would come back to me. But what if they want something off the wall or a service that hasn't been commissioned by Islington before? How do you go about deciding what sort of budget they should receive for something entirely new and, as Rachel was saying, very flexible? Ultimately, their health needs are very similar to someone else's health needs um, that we've commissioned services for. And so we base it on that. Usually we would spend some amount of money to meet those health needs. And if they want to meet them in a totally different way, they can do that. But ultimately, they really only have access to the same amount of funds as anyone anyone else. And how can you see the increase of personal health budgets in your area influencing the kinds of services that you buy in or the kinds of providers that you might do contracts with? Um, I think it'll be a really interesting indication of what services people really want that we may not be commissioning now. So if lots of people in a population want to buy a certain service, then there may be an opportunity to use the CCG as a way to buy that more efficiently. Rachel? Often people aren't entirely unhappy with what they're receiving. There might just be little tweaks here and there, which um, we spoke about that people might want to do. But sort of within Lambeth, we've had some, I guess in mental health, it's quite different because a lot of people might want something a little bit different. We've we've spent money on things like SAD lights for people. Um, Bicycles are really popular. Um, and we've also had sort of, we have awarded somebody Sky TV package um, before, which is obviously a lot of people sort of raise their eyebrows at. But I think the important thing to remember about some of those things is that everybody's story is different and why they need such items needs to be really carefully considered. So Sky TV package that's suitable for person A might be completely unsuitable for person B, and it's about why that person needs it and what outcomes they're trying to achieve by having that. We are seeing some moves towards national standardisation for personal health budgets, but some authorities or areas do seem a little further ahead in getting ready for this than others. Is that true? Yes, that's definitely true. Recently there were um, pioneer sites selected um, across the country, and these are essentially boroughs that are really committed to integrating health and social care. 
And what are the problems that that can cause if one area is a lot further ahead and being set up in terms of processes and things compared to another area? You're going to end up with people with a very different experience of personal health budgets. True. Hopefully it creates opportunities, though, for boroughs to really share their learning with their neighbouring boroughs because the economies will be quite similar and the problems will be quite similar. And finally, are you optimistic about this project? Definitely. I think the what we've done so far is had some really great results. We've learnt a lot. We've got a lot of challenges still ahead of us, but I think ultimately we can do some really nice things for people. Absolutely. I think it's the way forward, and I think uh, it's not just changing um, sort of the mindset of, uh, you know, the NHS and those that work within it. It's also about changing the mindset of the general public. I mean, we've talked in the past of, uh, you know, the Daily Mail headlines, and actually, you know, when when people really understand why people have been given a Sky package, uh, that actually people understand that and think, well, actually, that might potentially potentially work for me if that kind of thing happened to me so you know it's a it's a whole society change do you think that's right Sarah a whole society change is what PHBs is precipitating or is that too grand um no I definitely think that's what it will take but um I also think it will take a bit of patience for that whole society change to happen you've been listening to your health in your hands a podcast on PHBs from the Open University The Open University. For more information, go to www.open.edu/itunesu.